you know where you're going? Do you know where your life's heading? I had a sad conversation this week with a good friend, pal from university. And he spoke to me and he told me of his brother. And it's not looking good for his brother, who's now in a hospice. And with a stuttered voice, my friend talked about life and its futility and its fragility. For he thinks his brother does not know Jesus. Do you know where you're going? Isn't it a key question for life? What happens in the end? Why am I living here today, now? What about when death comes and it will to us all? Here is a wonderful passage in 1 Peter that helps us grapple with the key, the key thing in life that we all have to have an answer for, death. And this is wonderful truth. It is wonderful truth. Do you know where you're going? We're reading as a family uh, the children's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan in the 16th century uh, wrote down a dream that he had whilst in prison for 12 years because he would not, he would not stop speaking the truth of Jesus. So they slammed him in jail and there he stayed and they gave him countless opportunity to come out Only if you stop preaching Jesus. And he refused with the family. Waiting for him, he said, no, 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 I cannot. I dare not. If you let me out, I will speak of Jesus. Because it matters so much. And he wrote down his dream. And it's now one of the best known Christian books. Children's books. And here is the the very children's version uh, of Pilgrim's Progress. Here's the beginning. The guy Christian. He's heading for the celestial city. I won't give too much away if you've not read it. Read it uh, if you haven't re- read it. Maybe as a, uh, as a church we will read that. It's on the, it's on the book list, isn't it? Um, so we'll come out of the deep theological books that we're reading and we'll read Pilgrim's Progress because it's wonderful. Here's Christian. Let me read uh, the first couple of pages. So Christian, this is the dream of John Bunyan. Christian went into the fields again, still reading his book the Bible, and yet still carrying his burden. He looked as if he might start running, but then he stood still because he couldn't decide which way to run. Then he saw a man called Evangelist. There's Evangelist. He looks like an evangelist. Why are you weeping, he asked Christian. Sir, this book tells me to run away from the fire that is coming, he answered. And also I'm afraid this burden on my back will sink me, for I want to get rid of it. So why are you standing here, said Evangelist? Because I don't know which way to go. Evangelist pointed across the big field. Do you see that little wooden gate? He asked. No, said Christian. Then can you see a light shining? I think so, said Christian. Keep your eye fixed on that light, said Evangelist. And go that way. Take the straight path. You will reach the gate, knock. And someone will tell you what to do next. The story continues. 
Do you know where you're going? The gospel of God has given us a living hope towards a certain glorious future. Last week, listening to Sai, uh, we heard of this hope. We heard that this hope was a confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is in his faithfulness, not in the level of my hope. The strength of hope is in his faithfulness. So let me ask you again. Are your eyes fixed on the eternal inheritance that awaits? You see, situations in life, trials of every kind, there's a huge danger that we stop looking forward towards the gate with the light. We stop looking towards our inheritance and we look inward as trials come our way. You see, perhaps the normality of life leads to complacency and our eyes just close over as we just go through the humdrum of week after week and month after month. Or perhaps the busyness of life, so busy, one thing to the next, that your eyes are just looking around. Where now? What next? What's the new thing that I should be involved in? Or perhaps it's the past. And we think about our Christian faith as in those good old days. Do you remember my first joy? And our eyes continually look back and go, oh, I wish it was like that then. Young and free and up for life and up for Jesus. Where are you looking? Do you know where you're going. See, Peter writes to a people who have been scattered. We read about that last week, verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter. They're exiles. Exiles scattered around what we would know as modern-day Turkey. They're exiles because they're not yet home. Not yet. And you see, unlike the Apostle Paul, Peter seems to be obsessed with the future. Paul always says, hey, look back. Look back and see what God has done through the cross. Look back and understand who you are because of what he's done. Peter's got a different tact. Peter is obsessed with the future. See, what will be should shape how we live and what we live for now. That's Peter's thrust. What will be should shape how we live, what we live for now. So first point, two points, simply today. Living hope leads to a glorious inheritance. And there's three sub-points to this first point. Living hope leads to a glorious inheritance. Why? Because it brings certainty. It brings certainty because the gospel is glorious. See, Peter, it spills over into one of the greatest descriptions of the gospel, verse 3. We've read it twice, I think, already. Let's go a third time. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, 
He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at Peter. He just starts with praise. He cannot contain himself. Praise be. And look at the focus. It's all on God. His great mercy. He has given. And then come the great theological truths. Look at his great mercy. For he did not give me what he should have. He did not. He did not give me what my sin merited. He did not. It's in his great mercy that he gave me new birth, new hearts, total transformation. And it's all through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All confirmed, all made certain. Because the Lord Jesus, he died and he rose again. And now he lives on high. Here's Peter, full of praise, full of worship. Worship, doxology that comes out of theology. It's a mixture of worship and truth. He can't help himself. And he goes on, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's all resulting in a glorious inheritance. An inheritance. It's not just a gift. It's something that we're entitled to. That's an inheritance. It's not just that God says, now here's my gift to you. An inheritance is rightly mine. See, I'm now entitled to receive all that the Father has for the Son. That's mine. It's entitled to me. And it's secure. It's steadfast. It can never perish, spoil or fade. Oh, what a glorious inheritance. And verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's kept by God. It's protected by God. It's shielded by him. And it's faith. Through faith. Not in how much we have or how little I may have, but in what we have it in. That's my faith. Not if I've got loads today and little tomorrow. But it's the essence of what my faith is in. See Peter at the beginning of his letter. He says, here is your glorious inheritance. You exiles who have been scattered. You're not home. But here is your glorious inheritance. And it should bring certainty. Because the gospel is glorious. How is the gospel to you today, my friend? Is it glorious truth? Has it gripped your heart this morning as you went for a walk in sunny Bicester? Just the first shoots of spring coming out. Is it gripping your heart as you ate lunch? Is it something that you're savouring and treasuring? Peter says, 
its glorious inheritance. And it brings certainty because the gospel is so glorious. Here's the second sub-point. See, it brings joy in every trial. Look at verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Hey, here's our glorious inheritance. It comes out of a, a living hope, but it brings joy in every trial. Peter's saying, for you exiles, scattered, you're not at home, you're living in foreign territory. You see the gospel when understood and dwelt on, it does bring joy. Here's a guarantee. Peter is able to say, you greatly rejoice. Not just that you're joyful, you greatly rejoice even when you have to have to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. What is Peter doing? Is he trying to minimise trials so that joy is greater on the scale of balance? Hey, actually, friend, do you know your trial is, it, it, it's nothing in comparison to the joy found in Christ. Is he just telling the Christians to get a grip? in light of an eternity to come? Well, no. I don't think he is. Look, go on. Verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled in an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see what Peter's trying to do? He's not telling the Christians to get a grip. He's helping the Christians to understand trials of every kind, and he means every kind, may make you rock solid in faith. That's what Peter's doing. He's not saying get a grip of yourselves. God, really, look at this, trials, it's nothing in comparison. He's not saying that. He's saying, no, no, as you go through trials, it will make you rock solid in faith. This is how God works. So that you find joy. This is a living hope. This is what God does. This is what he uses. In every trial. So think today for you. The job uncertainty. The looming redundancy. The financial predicament. The debt that you find yourself in, the anxiety over the future, the sleepless nights, the physical pain that you're in now, the tough diagnosis, the relationship tension, the rejection of a family member, family breakdown, the longing for a family, the loneliness in singleness, the school bully, Discrimination at work? See, this side of glory, we will not understand why. We won't have definitive answers to explain every difficulty that we pass through. But you see, faith is in Jesus who is unseen. And the future that is promised is unseen. 
So it's, it's little wonder that this is what God is doing. He's shielding us in faith in order that we keep moving on. Suffering is not an obstacle. It's not an obstacle in our journey, but it's a means to help us proceed with greater purpose, with greater intent to make us certain of the future, long for it with joy. See, we have an answer for every kind of trial. Will we understand it fully this side of eternity? No. But we have an answer. And the world does not. The world says something like this, suck it up, my friend. It is what it is. You heard that phrase? That's the hand that life has dealt you. There's no meaning, no purpose. Life is a roller coaster, you've just got to ride it. You see, the world does not have an answer to every trial that you face. And if you are in Jesus, if your trust is in him, here's the answer to the hardship of life. God doesn't say, I'm going to keep you from hardship, from trial. But I'll give you an idea of how I'm going to use them. And I will shield you. And you walk with a living hope, with eyes fixed on a glorious inheritance. If you are not a Christian, can I simply urge you on that basis to trust him? Because he's got an answer for every trial and hardship in life. Look back to verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. The genuineness of your faith is worth greater than gold. Even though gold is refined by fire, here's faith. It will stand the test of time. Faith in something great, not how much you have, that will bring praise and glory and honour to King Jesus. Living hope leads to a glorious inheritance. And here's the third point. Look at verses 10 to 12. Because it brings focus. It's always pointing to Jesus. Let me read verses 10 to 12 concerning this salvation, says Peter. The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searching intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of the things that have now been told you, by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Peter's saying, look, look concerning this salvation. And let's remember the prophets. They searched intently. They searched intently for, for answers for the time that all would be fulfilled in a suffering Messiah. 
and the following glories. They did not understand the time. They understood that they were serving the generations to come. The promises of God being fulfilled by God. But Peter's saying, look at the prophets. They did not know. And look at the angels. They long to look into these things. Look, you have the prophets that brought God's word. And you've got the angels who are peering over the balcony of heaven. Just having a little look to see what's going on. Jaw-dropping moments. What's happening? And you see, right at the heart, right at the heart of this salvation, as it's been revealed to us, we know. How? Because of those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, verse 12. Now we know what the prophets didn't, what the angels longed to look into, this glorious mystery of salvation, which is just Christ. And Christ crucified. Do you know that God has given you a living hope that leads to a glorious inheritance? Do you know that? John Bunyan, in his song that he wrote, He Who Would Valiant Be, last verse he says this, Since, Lord, thou dost defend us with thy spirit, we know we at the end shall life inherit. Then fancies will flee away. And I'll fear not what men say. And I'll labour night and day to be a pilgrim, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Is it possible? Yeah, yeah, Peter says, yes, it's possible. Not because of the level of the faith that you have, but what your faith is in. Look at this, it's a living hope that leads to a glorious inheritance and it cannot perish, spoil or fade. That, dear Christian, is where you're heading. And then Peter changes tact. Here's the second point, so let's dig in and have a little look at this. Living hope enables you to live gloriously today. Look at the beginning of verse 13. Therefore... Therefore, in light of all that I've just said about this glorious inheritance, the glorious inheritance that brings certainty, that brings joy in trials, that brings focus, go and live glorious lives, says Peter. And and here's something that I am in great danger of forgetting. Perhaps you are too. See, I'm grateful that Jesus has dealt with the punishment of the sin that I deserve. I'm I'm so very grateful for that. I know I no longer have to face the righteous anger of God. As a Christian, I know that. And I ought to. But the Lord Jesus has paid that punishment. I'm forgiven. I'm seen as spotless. I, I know that. But here's my danger. I forget this. I forget that I've been set free from my previous way of life. Set free. That this living hope that Peter talks about is fused with power to fight sin. To turn aside from selfish ways, to be different. I forget that. I forget that the cross is double-edged. It saved me from the punishment that I deserve. And it now is saving me from the power of sin. 
And this is where Peter goes for it. Verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert, fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Minds that are alert, fully sober. Get your mind in gear. Think about such things. And Peter uses language here linked to the instructions given to the Israelites on the night of the Passover escape from Egypt, right back in Exodus. And here's the language. With minds that are alert and fully sober, here's the language. Wherefore, in the old King James, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Here's what it says in Exodus. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on, your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Just on the eve before they were sent out of Egypt by God and his spirit. Here's the same language, the language of readiness to gird up the loins of your mind, to gird up. Do you know what it was? It's about hoiking up the robe, tucking it into the belt, tightening the belt, kind of rolling the sleeves up, ready for action. It's, it's that kind of language. Be serious about life today. Be serious about what's getting in the way of life. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, if you have any, please come and talk to me later. <laughs> As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you were lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Peter's saying now, whoa, whoa change of gear glorious inheritance see what the gospel has saved you from wonderful punishment of sins but also the power of sin on life now so you've got an ability you've got a power to be obedient so go hoik up the loins of your robe roll the sleeves up and do not conform to the pattern of this world Romans chapter 12, similar language. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hebrews 12 verse 1, similar language. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. Let's get ready for action, says Peter. Be serious about living spirit-empowered lives. Can I ask you today, what part of your life do you think you need to pay special attention to? Where aren't you engaging a fully alert, sober mind? Which areas of your life are you turning a blind eye to? Peter is telling the Christians, no, no, no. Stop. Therefore, in light of all that I've said, this glorious inheritance, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires. Can I ask, can I drive a bit deeper? Material sin? greed? Is there a longing for things that you don't have? Are idols playing a big part in your life than following God? Do you covet what other people have? 
not just possessions, but the life that they lead, Peter says, be holy. What about slothfulness, the complacency, comfort, ill ill discipline? (laughs) Funny word to get stuck on. Do you know what Peter says? Gird up the loins of your robe. Tighten the belt. Be serious. Can I ask about sexual sin? Internet? Wandering eyes? Relationship outside of marriage? Holding back from your wife or husband in marriage? Peter says, be serious. And here's Peter. Do you remember Peter? Fear of the world as he denied Jesus three times. Let's not forget who this man was. And Peter now is saying, be serious about your faith in light of the glorious inheritance that is yours. Let's go from verse 17. Let's finish this. Since your call... Sorry, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed at these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. See how he finishes this little section, Peter. Saying, Christian, you were bought at such a high price. It was such a high cost that you were bought. And it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold. I found three old one pound coins today in the nappy bag. Useless. Perishable. Peter's saying it's not like that. Look how you were bought. Do you know what it was with? The precious blood of the Lamb. We've heard that already last week. Verse 2. That's how you were bought. Verse 2. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. You've been bought at such a high price. Now go and live out your value. That's what Peter's saying. Go on. Go and live out your value. Keeping your eyes fixed for a glorious inheritance awaits you. Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. But he was revealed in the last times for your sake. It was Christ, always God's plan to send his eternal son to die in your place. It was his grace. It was his forgiveness, his mercy, his genuine love for a people he had created. His goodness and justice in dealing with sin as sin deserves and counting you as free. Shall we finish? I'm just going to read this great little book, Shock of Your Life. It's all about heaven. Here's the last part of the book. They're in heaven. 
What a scene of rejoicing. How can I begin to describe it to you? The Bible says that there is joy in heaven over one sinner of repentance. Think then how noisy it gets when we all go steaming in. What a scene of wonder. If the presence of Jesus on earth in the first century inspired worship and the giving of the Holy Spirit caused Christian hearts to thrill, think what it is like to be in the presence of God, the entire Trinity, face to face. As the excitement built, flashes of lightning flew out from the throne along with rumblings and peals of thunder. Now a momentum was gathering. The noise increased and the angels cried out, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then a new wave of gratitude crashed into our hearts. And I heard every creature singing even more loudly to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And I sang too. I have never felt as good as I do now in his presence. Come on, join me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words from Peter as he spoke to a people who were exiled, scattered, without home, seemingly without hope. And he tells them of this glorious inheritance that has been bought at such great cost, the blood of the Lord Jesus on our behalf. Father, do what you have to do to thrill us again with the gospel. And please, Lord, keep us focused on this glorious inheritance that we would know where we are going. And we get there. And we take as many people with us to heaven. Please, Lord, to that end and to that aim, let your word do its work in our hearts today. We ask in your name. Amen.